Well, welcome everybody to the Family CTO's Cocktail Gadget Show. This is our first live podcast and we're excited to have people joining in from as far away as Hawaii. We've got people in Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, New York, San Francisco, all over the place. Thank you so much for joining us. So what are we gonna be talking about today? We're gonna be talking about cocktails and gadgets, right? Sort of, not really. What we're really talking about is being social and relaxing and taking care and control of your own lifestyle. That's what this is all about. It's not really about the gadgets. It's not really about the cocktails. So let me tell you a little bit, because we have people coming in who might not be familiar with the family CTO. My history is that I worked as a bartender late in high school and throughout college. I'm an actual licensed mixologist, even though I haven't bartended for a little while. On the gadget side, several years after college, I went to my first big tech trade show. And in the 20 years since then, I've written for PC World, Discovery News, Photos Travel, Maxim, Club Life Magazine, and all sorts of other ones. I've also done live gadget demos on TV and radio for public schools and libraries and at private companies and retreats because I love just being in front of people and getting that sense of joy from all the gadgets. Last fall, I started the Family CTO to help folks spark joy while outfitting their digital households. And I'm really enjoying doing that podcast where I am hosting it by myself. But tonight, I am not by myself. I am not flying solo as usual. I've recruited Chris Albrecht, editor-in-chief of The Spoon. For those not familiar, they provide daily reporting and insight into how food-related technology is transforming the entire meal journey. Chris, welcome to the show, and please tell us more about what sorts of cool tech you're covering. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we at The Spoon, you can find us at thespoon.tech. We cover the convergence of food and technology. So that's everything from robots picking fruit on a farm to blockchain being used in the supply chain to robots making food in the kitchen to cellular meat being grown in a lab all the way to sort of the connected gadgets that appear in your kitchen. I myself have a June oven and use it daily. It is the only way I can cook because ironically, even though I write about food, I can't cook. So uh, we're more of a B2B publication. So people listening may or may not get a whole lot of value. We write a lot about like funding startups a lot when they get fundraises and other kinds of businessy related things. But it's fun. And uh, like I said, we put on conference. I am hosting a virtual conference on May 18th called Articulate that is devoted to, it's a whole day we're going to be spent talking about food automation and robots. So we don't have any, we actually do have a bartender robot that's going to be speaking. And I can talk about that in just a little bit when we get into it. But yeah, we'll have a robo bartender on hand. Sounds very cool. I just, I think this is like where the future's going. So like when I want to see where things are going, I've already heard about a lot of the gadgets we're going to talk about, but I go to your site to be wowed. Oh my gosh, there's really, uh, what was one you did the other day? The the drones delivering food in Ireland. There's just so many cool things that that fancy technology is doing with food. Oh yeah, like uh, yeah, that company is called Mana and it's in the city of Galway in Ireland and they're already doing 50 to 100 deliveries a day. And it basically takes, once you place an order and it gets cooked, they put it in a drone and it takes 90 seconds to three minutes to arrive at your house. So That's so cool. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And then there's even stuff like bioreactors and growing meat in a factory, basic. Well, that makes it sound bad. But growing meat like in a lab, that is, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening with that. And also the little mushroom 
uh, mycelium is going to become an important source of protein and food going forward. There's going to be a lot of stuff made with it. So uh, be on the lookout for myco technology uh, and myco related products. Very cool. So you're basically my backup. I, I know sort of the ins and outs of some of these things, but when we're at a loss, I'm just going to ask you to start naming off robo bartenders and all the, the really cool stuff. Got it. So this is actually, like I said, it's our first time using this platform. So we'll see how it works, but basically we'll be talking and dropping links into the chat. Feel free to do chat if you're either on your laptop or on your phone and you should be able to text us questions. So I'll try to keep an eye out. And Chris, you keep an eye out too, if you see any questions pop up. And for those who are on the Podbean app on your phone or tablet, you should be able to actually sort of call in radio style or we'll be able to bring you up on stage and ask us a question. So I guess, Chris, let's start here. When I mentioned we're going to be talking about cocktail hour gadgets, like what were the first one or two that just jumped into your mind? Well, there's so many possibilities, right? So one, there's a few things. So if you're thinking of bars, that, that's one route, right? So do you want to go bar or do you want to go home? Like and uh, so out at a bar? Go bar first. Okay. So bar, you've already seen some. There's a bar in Las Vegas called Tipsy and they use a robot. From, I believe they use a robot from a company in Italy called Maker Shaker. And it's an articulating arm, like what you would think of with a robotic arm with a gripper. And it makes a cocktail, right? Like it's just this autonomous system. And you're seeing some of these elsewhere. There's another one I don't know if it's still open in the Czech Republic. And then there was one in Iceland called Glacier Fire, which uh, uses two articulating arms bolted onto a bar to fix up the glass and mix up, you know, the right amount of liquor in each drink to make a drink and then serves it up, right? So you have that. And then there's also, as I mentioned earlier, there's one called Rotender, which hasn't come to market yet, but it is basically a mixed drink vending machine and you walk up and then you use your phone to order a drink and it ha doesn't have the robotic arms but it's more like just a vending machine and it spits out you put a glass in and it dumps the ice and it spits out the drink and uh, you'll be seeing those probably coming to a bar soon stuff like that like the rotender is meant to be for like high volume areas right like high volume bars you want a drink that's quick you want it consistent if you're at a bar you like them because there's no overpouring. There's no, if you're a customer, you may not appreciate it because you're not going to get the overpour. You're not going to get a little extra. You're not going to get the bartender comping you a drink or anything, right? But it, for the owner of the bar, it means that they're going to save on spoilage and wasting and overpours. So these things are either, they're already here and you're just going to see more of them coming to market over the next couple of years. So do you see this as more of like a showmanship thing or productivity, or is it just a blend of both of those? So obviously it's got a novelty component to it now, right? So that's why I think some of these places employ robotic arms because it's like, look, ooh, look, it's a robot and it's moving and it's spinning around. Wee, you know, that's kind of fun. But I think what it will move more towards is like the Rotender model, which is it's not an expensive articulating arm that you have to use. It is really, it is a vending machine. And so it's a way to pump out a bunch of drinks, like hundreds of drinks in an hour without needing, people can just go in and up, up and get their drink and get out quickly. So I think that's what it'll go more towards. Very cool. Yeah, I think when I think of that stuff, I immediately think of Las Vegas and it fitting into those kinds of places. And then my mind sort of drifts and goes, I wonder if there's like a 2025 version of the movie Cocktail that's going to have a robot in it. And I, I don't know. Well, they're all um, going to sport Tom Cruise-like dazzling smiles. 
Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat that. So yeah, I think that in the home front, of course, we have Bartesian. Have you used Bartesian? I have had drinks with Bartesian, but I do not have a Bartesian. Oh, okay. So it's funny. I met these guys at the Consumer Electronics Show at the last live one that was, what, 14 months ago. And they invited members of the press over to the Cosmopolitan, which is appropriate, having a, a party in a hotel named after a drink. Sure. So we go up there and I honestly, like, you can get free drinks pretty much anywhere. So I was there to actually see the gadget and see how it was working. And it was good. I had a paper plane. I had something called Uptown Rocks and I had a margarita. So can you describe how it works basically? Yeah. So think of it like a Keurig for drinks. You get these flavor pods and I'm trying to remember because there's Bartesian and then there's Drinkworks and they both use like pod-based systems for mixing drinks. And I want to say you put in, you have canisters of liquor on the side. It's a countertop device, right? And then you put in the pod and I think it understands, it knows what pod you put in there and you push a button and it releases the flavor pod and it has a canister, I think of tequila or something on the side, right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, so there are, it has four openings. And so you choose whatever your spirit of choice is. If you happen right. to sky vodka or whatever, tequila, rum, gin. So you put your spirits and they're sort of turned upside down. And then there's a water dispenser in the back and then, yeah, the flavor pod basically tells it what kind of a drink to make. And you say, I want a, a light drink, a regular drink, or a heavy drink. And then it just makes it for you right there. Yeah. that's So there's the Bartesian. That's made by Hamilton Beach, I think. Because Bartesian at some point realized, hey, we don't want to be in the hardware game. We just want to be in the flavor pod game. Yeah. So, And that's also, if you think about it, they're targeting people living in like apartments, right? You can have a full bar basically stored in pods, right? You don't need a yeah. ton of mixers. You can have, it's really a space saver. And the drink was good. Like I think I had, I don't remember what I had, but I, it was at the same CES. I got it off the show floor and it was yeah. good, right? And Drinkworks is the same, right? Like Drinkworks, you, I think the, you put the pod in and you push a button and then you can, I even think there might even be carbonation on the Drinkworks one, but that's also a product of uh, Anheuser-Busch, I want to say. Like it's oh, part okay. of a beer like conglomerate, right? So they also had like beer pods that you could do that reconstituted beer. They would have beer concentrate and then you could refill it and fizz it and make a beer on tap kind of thing. And those were rolling out state by state. They weren't available nationwide right away. So there are those. The one that I eyeball all the time, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called the Barsys, B-A-R-S-Y-S. -S. I haven't seen that one. So this one's like more of a robot, like it's pretty fancy. So whereas the Bartesian uses pods for drink flavors, this one you actually load, you put the bottles upside down on top, and then you there are canisters that you fill up with mixers like orange juice or cranberry juice or whatever, and then you stick those in the machine, and then it's got like a little conveyor kind of thing that moves the glass back and forth and fills it up. But that one's kind of pricey. That's $1,100. Oh, wow. I think the Bartesian was like three fifty. dollars so it's definitely a higher price point, but it is a pretty slick, I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty slick machine. Yeah. I like Bartesian because you can, you don't have to stock bitters and you don't have to worry about like, oh, do I have sweet vermouth? It's just mixers, alcohol, water, and it just sort of does it for you. While we're on, this isn't a gadget, but it's a product that I tested uh, a couple of months ago. There's a product, uh, and I think the company is called Steeped. S-T-E-E-P-T, -E -E I want to say. And it's cocktails in like a tea bag. 
So huh. you uh, pour your liquor in there and then you, you stick your tea bag in there and that makes the cocktail. So it's very lo-fi approach, but interesting. And then the one that you might actually like is called mybar.io. And I wonder if they're still around because I got mine a couple of summers ago and it is a DIY kit that you could buy online. And it's basically just a series of pumps and tubes that you put together in a 3D printed case. And then there's a tablet. You get like an, a cheap Android tablet, one of the Amazon ones for like 35 bucks. Yeah. It's not on iOS. It's only on Android. So you download the MyBar app and then you go, okay, tube number one is vodka. Tube number two is orange juice. Tube number three is tequila. Tube number four and so on, right? And there are like yeah. nine bottles. And they basically just stick a tube into the bottle. And then there, those go in and there are these little pumps. And then using the tablet, you go, okay, yeah, once you've assigned all the tubes where the app comes back and goes, these are all the drinks you can make. And then you can walk up or your guests can walk up and they push a button and you stick the glass of ice underneath. And then it just spits out all the, the proportions for the drink that you selected. And it actually works pretty well. That's cool. Yeah. It looks like I'm just looking online now. It looks like it's available and it, it's sort of like a, if you took uh, Bartesian and then took out the screen and all the fancy parts and just sort of put use your own phone. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's also, you're also then able to create your own drink recipes or use the drink recipes that are there, right? So it gives you, for people who do have a bar, like you're a mixologist, so I imagine you have a bunch of stuff on hand. It's kind of a fun thing that people can walk up, use a tablet. It's like they're at a fancy place. They're at a fancy store. Yeah. And I think that's the point. It's like I said at the top, it's really about the lifestyle. It's about hey, I just want to have fun and I don't want to have to worry about, am I sitting outside in a parking spot in the middle of winter? So it's a way of still socializing and still having drinks that you like and discovering just cool ways to be refreshed and be social. So we have a, a question here from Tom Anderson. It says, do you think robot bartenders will make bars more or less fun? Here's <laughs> the thing. I think it's going to be a diminishing return. So yeah. I think that when people first see a robot bartender, it will be fun. And there's a novelty aspect to it. But people, especially at bars, they're not there to interact. They interact with their friends. They're there to have fun with their friends. So the faster they can get a drink, the better. So I think that if the robot is too slow, it will have a negative reaction from people. And so fun is sort of a loaded word, right? Yeah because it's, it depends on how you want to have fun. I personally, having been at different bars where you have to stand and wait for the bartender's attention, I've worked at bars, so I know what it's like on the other side of the bar. Yeah. The fun, it, people just want to have fun at bars and for getting drinks is part of that. It's not fun for me standing in line waiting to get a drink. It's not fun for me to get sneered at by a bartender, but it is fun to hang out with my friends and enjoy drinks. So I think whatever facilitates that is going to be what people gravitate towards. That sounds cool. So what type of drinks do you prefer? Are you more of a beer guy or cocktails or what are you, what are you into? Okay. Well, during this pandemic, I have stopped drinking. I'm older. And so my body just, I get headaches anymore when I drink. So I just said, yeah. stop drinking. Having said that, I don't know if you remember, uh, I am definitely more of a cocktail person. Okay. Beer doesn't really do anything for me. Wine is all right. Champagne, I enjoy. But I really, anything with the word electric in it or with more than one color, I'm all in on <laughs> The kids in the hall had a skit called The Girl Drink Drunk. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Yeah. But just give me a strawberry alley cat or a chocotini or whatever, and I'm in. Cool. Are you, but you, so you're a mixologist, but are you a beer guy or what are you? 
It's tough because I think people look to me and they expect me to say, what was the one from Cheers? Oh, give me a screaming Viking. Oh yeah. How do you like your cucumber? Bruised, of course. So I keep it fairly simple. I try not to, because basically the first couple of years out of bartending school, I would go and like order something and the bartender would look at me like, are you kidding me? Like I'm giving you a gin and tonic because I'm not, I don't even know what you just said. So I try to keep it fairly simple. So I tend to like a Gimlet or a Tom Collins or a fairly simple sorts of drinks. But I actually am, I'm probably part cocktail and then I am into beers a little bit. I'm not like, I think some people are really into it. And that's something that I've sort of followed this as I've written for, I guess, sites like Maxim and Gear Patrol, where they're really into that stuff. And I looked back at some of my articles as we were leading up to this. And it's amazing because I might've written about five, eh, like four or five beer gadgets over the last couple of years. And I don't think any of them are still in business. Yeah. And I I don't know what the deal is. There was one called Pico Brew that looked like it's so easy. And then you're brewing. And I, I think there's just sort of a, maybe it's like a Goldilocks thing. Like they haven't found what the right, the just right proportion of automation to pricing is. It seems like things are either too easy or too hard or too expensive. So So Uh, Pico Brew had a bit of an interesting journey. They're based near me here in Seattle, or they were, right? And they crowdfunded the first Pico Brew, shattered all kinds of records, did really well on crowdfunding. I think it was Kickstarter, right? Uh, And they came out with the Pico Brew, and then they had another Pico device. And they had one for like brewers that was like a bigger, the Z, I want to say. But the problem with that I think Pico ran into was that once you got in, you were locked into their ecosystem, you had to get Pico pods in order to make beer. And so yeah. the beer making community is, they're crazy. Like they like to twink, they like <laughs> to, to, to tinker and tweak recipes, right? And this wouldn't let them do it. And so I think you had a little bit of control, but then you still had to ferment and brew things, right? So if I'm just a casual person who's not into it and I buy a Pico brew and I buy the Pico packs, I still got to wait in order for my beer right? Yeah. But beer is everywhere. It's so easy to get that yeah. there was just no advantage to it. There was no reason for me to sit and make a, however, a quart of beer or whatever it was, right? Like a gallon of yeah. beer and have to wait for it for a, a week or so when I could just easily go out to the store and get one. Yeah. You could get a job at a store and on your break, have a beer. Like that's no, I, I think that's what the Goldilocks thing is. If somebody wants a beer, then you subscribe to a beer service or you could go out to a bar. There's so many ways of doing it. People were doing a lot of filling up growlers and stuff like that. But it just, it seems like it's either too easy or like you said, you can't really tweak it enough. People want to sort of mess around with it. So the one I like, I put this on my gift guide for this past holiday season. It's called the Beer Maker. Now, People got mad at me because I don't like beer. I just don't like the taste of it. It's too bitter. <laughs> I've got a sweet tooth, right? And yeah. that's fine, right? But as a result, I like the idea of home brewing beer and being able to Frankenstein it, right? Throw in different kinds of things and mix it up. But just the process always seemed like such a hassle. You have to sterilize things. You got to sterilize your bottles and your hoses and your tubes and you got to ferment and you got to pitch yeast and all this stuff. And it was just like, Ugh, that is too much work for a drink I don't even enjoy. However, there is a product called Beer Maker, and Maker is spelled M-K-R. And what this does is instead of hoses and tubes and bottles, it gives you like a bladder, this plastic bag bladder that you use, right? So it's already sterile. And then you do the first thing with your hops, 
and you just put it in a basket and you pour in the water and it you push a button and it does everything for you. Like it does everything. And then once it tells you like, okay, your hops are done and I may be getting this wrong. So don't at me in the comments, but, and then you, it tells you to pitch your yeast, right? So you throw the yeast in and then again, it does everything all on its own. And what the beauty of it is though, is that you can follow their recipes. You can order kits and they'll send them to you. So you can make like an IPA or a stout or a lager or whatever, right? They give you all the ingredients prepackaged. You cannot mess it up, but if you want to tweak it, you can. So in the basket where you throw in your hops and your grains or whatever, right? You can, you could throw in like blueberries or you could throw in barrel aged wood chips or something. You could literally throw anything into it to tweak the recipe, orange rinds, whatever you want. And the machine's just going to be like, oh, whatever, it's your beer. And it, it doesn't change how the process is. So it does all of the fermenting and all of the pitching and everything and all of the resting and all of the agitating. And then you just take the bladder out of the beer maker and you put it in a dispenser and then you screw in a CO2 capsule. And then 24 hours later, you got your beer, right? So, well, like it takes a week or so, depending on your recipe, right? Obviously, because it's fermenting and doing all this other stuff. But it was so easy. I've never made beer and I made it the first time and it turned out really good, right? Like I made a stout and it was, I, even I thought it was all right, but everybody I gave it to was like, oh, this is really good. So that's, I think, interesting because it allows people to tweak the way they want to. Yeah. And I think that's that breed of person who enjoys beer wants to know like the little fine tweaks here and there. I saw a really cool gadget. I'm trying to think of how long it was ago. This is one of the only other ones that I know is around. It's called Physics, and it's mm -hmm. spelled like F-I-Z-Z, Physics. And they have a device that they were featured on Shark Tank, if you happen to be a, a fan of that show. And I saw this at one of the shows. What's better than walking around and seeing a bunch of boring like security routers and all that? And then you walk up to a booth and they're like pouring you beer. That's just fun. Yeah. So what the Physics does is it actually fizzes and puts more nitrous into your beer and makes it taste like a draft. And so you can have whatever beer you want in a bottle or a can, and it, it just tastes better. So whatever your beer is, it just makes it taste smoother and foamier. And it's a little difficult to describe over the podcast, but if you see it on their website, we'll put a, a link in there. It really looks like you're just making tap beer. And Maybe you're not into beer, but I guess if you have a bad experience with beer or you drink cheap beer or bottled beer or whatever, that's one thing. But like a good draft beer, that's great to me. Like you get yeah. a pizza or wings or something like that and a beer and you're just good to go. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing I would say to anybody listening is that the, they don't see as much anymore, but there was a time when you would see a lot of Kickstarters for all-in-one beer making systems. And a lot of those never came to market. So just make sure when you're doing anything like that, that you buy from a company that's already got something in production and out into the world, uh, yeah. rather than just the promise of somebody who's on Kickstarter trying to raise money to get their prototype to production phase. It seems like there's always somebody in Australia or New Zealand who's coming out with a new beer machine. I know that LG actually has one I wrote up called the Homebrew. And I don't know if they're available here or if that's just in Korea. It, it looked from their site like it was going to be available, but we'll check that out. I'm actually in touch with the guys from LG, so we'll get back to everybody on that one. So you mentioned wine. You're not much of a wine fan? Oh, you know, I enjoy it. Sure. Over dinner, it's nice. 
but yeah, it's not the, it's definitely not the first thing I reach for. Okay. Well, we should probably talk about wine because there, I know there are a lot of wine fans out there. I think there are a couple of perennial problems with wine. One is the glass versus the bottle. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just want a glass. And if you're not out at a restaurant, then you either feel sort of beholden to like, oh, I have to finish the bottle or it's going to spoil or it's going to oxidize or do some horrible thing. So have you heard of the company called Coravin? I have actually. Okay. Have you used this? Because I haven't used it, but I know, I think I see my cousin, Jen, she's out in the audience and she has one. It looks like a really cool concept. It just, it seems like one of those game changing things. So can you tell folks about how Coravin works? Yeah. So the Coravin shoots, this is the one that shoots argon gas into it, right? And then, so what that does is that keeps the wine. So one of the things with wine, obviously, is if you buy a full bottle, you have to drink it like a red wine, right? Like you have to drink it all. Otherwise it's going to go bad, Yeah. which is not always, you don't always want to do that, right? So what this allows you to do is you, you put your cork back on and then you stick a needle through it and yep. then it injects argon gas in there. And what that does is it keeps the wine from oxidizing, right? But it is a system for just making sure that your wine doesn't go bad, just keeps it longer. So I don't know, does your cousin, does it help keep wine fresh for days? Supposedly. I don't think she had actually used it the last time I talked to her. It was like, she said, oh yeah, we have one of those. But I was talking with somebody else the other day who said, oh yeah, no, I'm a big fan and it totally works. And I know they have a new attachment. It kind of looks like a really fancy bottle opener. And then as you get closer, you realize, oh, that's not just a bottle opener. And then there's an attachment where it comes out that aerates the wine and sort of gives it, it breathes for the wine. So instead of having to like, let it sit there and decant the wine, like this actually does something more than that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I should say wine gadgets, I hesitate to even use the term wine gadgets because there's so many things out there that are just ridiculous. Like you might as well be selling people magic pixie dust and crystals and other things to wave over the wine to get rid of the sulfides. And I think people just want to enjoy their wine. And so there is such a thing as like over gadgetizing wine, but the Coravin looks like a cool thing. And then I guess one step up from that is the plum. And I just discovered this just a few weeks ago. Have you seen the plum? Yeah, I think I actually wrote about it a while ago. Yeah, this one also, it's a similar sort of thing operationally in the sense that it does use a needle and it does use argon gas, but this is an actual appliance yeah. and they have them either set up so that it's built into the design of your home or a, a separate like countertop item, which I've seen them say, it's something that you don't just sort of put in the kitchen. You could have it out in your game room or your home theater or your living room because it's just that attractive. And it really is nice looking, but you essentially put two bottles, you invert them and then it does the magical piercing. And as it's closing, it takes a picture of the wine label, goes into a database, and then tells you on the screen what wine you have in which one. Yeah. And then uses fancy artificial intelligence to actually chill the wine as much as it should be, like to the exact temperature based on that wine. Yeah. So I'm going to blow your mind possibly here with two other things that you may okay. think of magic pixie dust. Okay. So one is a connected wine aerator. So what it does is you screw it to the top of your bottle. And as you, you tell it what wine it is, and it has a database similar to the plum, right? And then it yep. shoots the right amount of bubbles, tiny bubbles into the wine as you're pouring it so that you don't have to decant it for a long time. It aerates it as it pours. 
Wow. So you're getting the right amount of oxygenation in there to fully enjoy your wine. Does it really work? I don't know. Like I, my palate isn't robust enough to know these kinds of things. It's not refined. I'm not a classy person. The other is the wine cab wall. Have you heard of this? I have not. Do you have a spare $200,000 lying around? Not in this room. Okay, because I do not. Oh, I'm sorry. It's only 139000 okay. It is a robotic sommelier. So you would build this into your house or build a house around <laughs> it. And it is a self-contained, you know, little kiosk. It's separated out. It's temperature controlled. And then you scan a bottle of wine and stick it in like a, you would like a reverse vending machine. And a robotic arm comes and picks it up and stores it in a spot. And so yeah. when you are ready to drink that wine, you say, hey, do you have a recommendation? Or I want this bottle. The robotic arm goes back into the kiosk, grabs that bottle and brings it back ready for you to pour. But these are meant obviously for high-end homes and super yachts and things like that. But a one that holds 130 bottles will set you back 139,000. And the 15 foot one, which holds 600 bottles will set you back 250,000 basically. Wow. That's dollars, I should say. That's amazing. It sort of reminds me of there's a what was that restaurant that's like at the top of Mandalay Bay where they have a flying angel and they're literally like on a, a rope and they pull this person up and down and she like grabs a bottle for you. It's this huge thing in, in Vegas. That just sounds crazy to me. But yeah, this what's interesting is that I've seen the president of Plum, Andreas Hansen, he describes this less of a, a wine accessory and more of a, a software product and a robot. Like you take it apart and you have a robot and a lot of AI software. And so it's interesting that they see themselves that way. A lot of cool things. If there's a problem, maybe there's some cork stuck in it or something because it's all software driven, mm -hmm. they're actually able to do remote control service. So sure. they can update your machine. They can remotely trigger it to, to shoot stuff out of the tube so that it clears it. It looks pretty cool. I think there's something like $2,500. So only four figures, not six figures. Yeah. Well, oh, well then excuse me while I go online. <laughs> while you're doing that, I actually have something that I'd like to introduce here. I think the other big problem with wine is that it's just intimidating. So you're in a shop and you don't know what to get or someone hands you a wine list and you have to look at it as if you're actually reading one instead of just picking the middle price so you're sitting there playing this guessing game and what do you do i found out recently that a colleague of mine i used to work with her name is erica ducey and she's working for a site called pix and pix wine is about to change the way that people discover and purchase wine so uh, she wasn't able to make it onto the show. And so I pre-recorded this and we'll play it now. I think it's really, for anybody who's into wine, this is going to change the way that you look at wine. Erica, I'm, I'm so excited to talk with you because we have a really fun history and you're an author. You wrote a great book called Sip Stories that's all about cocktails and the amazing stories behind them. My first book is a book about drinking games. Nice. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting trivia. You were my editor at Fodor's Travel. So after Fodor's, you wound up going on to a few different publications. Tell us what your journey's been. 
So after I left Fodor's Travel, I worked at Sever Magazine, Architectural Digest, and have always been focused on growing digital platforms across design or food, travel, all those different topics. But I found myself really becoming more and more interested in wine. And I uh, started writing more and more about wine and spirits. And over time, just decided that I really wanted to do that full time. And so I ended up starting a publication called 750 Daily. And then after that, went over to Vine Pair, which is the country's largest publication in the drink space. I think 31 million consumers each month is how many people it reaches across all of its various platforms. So I really have in my career followed my passions and not just drinking, but tasting is where it has led me. I would say I taste a lot, but I don't actually drink that much, but it's been really fun to follow a career that is based on my own passions. And that was another reason why I wanted to have you on the show, because I love how you followed your passions and then figure out how to put out content for other people. Yeah, definitely. So what made me so excited about Pix is that it's the only platform that is founded by people who are from the industry, and it really benefits all parts of the industry. So what I mean by that is that if you're a wine drinker out there, of course you go to bricks and mortar shops, but then you may also be ordering online. And when you're ordering online, you may be searching on some sites to find out information and then going to retail sites to buy those wines. But what this platform does is it provides you with the information you need to do all of your education and searching and finding out where the wine is available all in one place. So for example, if you are, let's say, um, interested in buying an Albarino wine, which is a wine from Spain, right now what you would have to do before this platform came along is go to multiple sites. You'd have to research about the wine. You need to look up some online. You need to see which ones are closest to you or which ones maybe have free delivery or deliver the quickest. But now that's all going to be happening in one place. And what's particularly interesting is that this not only benefits consumers, but is also completely free for anyone in the industry to use, whether they're a retailer or a winery. So everyone has an invested benefit in making this platform successful. So it's been so cool to have the industry support in creating a product that benefits consumers in a very tangible way. It sounds like it connects the dots for everybody. Yeah. yeah. If I'm somebody who's looking to learn about wines, if I know what I like and I want to get wine, then it helps connect me with that wine and retailers and actual wineries. And so exactly. can you tell us a little bit about how it works? Because I've seen other things out there called wine discovery or wine clubs or wine subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And so this is not that. Exactly. So what we are going to have is every wine that is available to you as a shopper in the United States, in your state. So we expect at the time of launch that we'll have over 200,000 different products. And, it, and it's not only online. So let's say that I am a user of the app and I'm at a grocery store and I want to understand, is this bottle that I've just picked up the best value? Well, you can just take a photo of the label and then Pix will be telling you everything that you need 
need to know about that wine, how it's rated, all of the information about it, the flavors and the style and information about the winery so that you can make an educated decision without having to go Googling. It's at your fingertips in a way that it never has been before. And so when you're searching for wine, you can just specify, I want this, I want to pick this up today. I want the quickest delivery. I want free delivery. I want to know where this is available for pickup. So all of those different use cases will be supported by this platform. That's great. And there's another parallel because I find that there are two kinds of gadgets. There's the gadget that you might know that you want. Hey, I want some headphones. And then there's the gadget that you don't know that you want that if you knew that this existed, you'd be into it. And it seems like there's a similar dynamic here with the wines where a lot of people just know, okay, Pinot Grigio, nice and safe. That's what I like. Exactly. But they might want to learn about other things or further mm -hmm. develop since you like that Pinot Grigio, have you tried this one? And that's really what the content on this platform will do. It's really that we have a state-of-the-art wine search engine on the one side. And then on the other side, we have really insightful, relevant content. And those two different pieces working together guide people to bottles that they'll love. And there's another piece of it as well, which is we want wine to be an engaging, relevant topic that is not scary to people, that does not feel intimidating. So we will have a variety of ways into choosing products, which will be different content products, different educational paths. We'll have sommelier and professional recommendations. And then of course, we'll also have machine learning to help us understand which wines are similar to other wines and that those algorithms will become better over time. But I think one thing that's important to note is that we will always have real people making real recommendations on the site. I think some of the platforms that I've seen out there that haven't been as successful have really relied too much on AI. And that's not what we're looking to do. We want to always have real people that you can get recommendations from all the time so that people who are experienced tasters are testing these wines and are recommending them to me in real time. Yeah. And that's great because Ultimately, you want somebody who knows the most, who can give you the most personal recommendation. Because if you're in a store, are you going to trust the person who's standing behind the counter with a, a brown bag in one hand and like, hey, hurry up. I have other people here. Or I think a lot of people just say, oh, that's a funny name or a pretty label. And they yeah. don't really know what they're getting into. I keep coming back to headphones because if people ask me, what headphones should I get? It depends on your use case. And so it's a very personal decision. So that's a, an interesting balance to try to strike between being personal, but being exhaustive. Yeah. And we envision that in the future, we will be able to learn about people's preferences to such a degree that if they are to walk into a shop, potentially we would be able to say, okay, we can identify that you're in this shop when you open up the app. Like these are some wines based on your prior purchases or your prior search history that we think you'll like in that shop right now. Okay. So you guys are planning to launch this spring. What's going on behind the scenes? So we are right now furiously building up the two different sides of the company. So the one side is the search engine, and that is going to be coming live in the next couple of months. And anyone who's interested in learning more about the platform can go to pix.wine and sign up as a beta tester. 
But the newsletter we have been testing for about the past month and a half or so. And people can also go on the homepage so they can get a sneak peek at the ideas that we're thinking through. And the products that we're profiling there right now are definitely shoppable at a range of different stores. But on the content side, we will have that up and running probably by May 1. That's great. And so I just want to make sure we say that the name of the site is picks.wine because it really is that simple. You're looking for better picks of wines. Exactly. We try to keep it very simple. One of the things that I, I think people find so intimidating about wine is that it feels exclusionary. And so what we really want to do with this platform is make wine accessible to everyone. Our content is going to be accessible, engaging, free of pretense that you find on a lot of other wine sites, and also relevant. We just, we really want to connect people with wines they'll love, whether it's finding an everyday bottle of wine or looking for the perfect gift for their boss. So we will have actionable tips, recommendations, news you can use, all of those things we hope will combine to make a platform that is really user-friendly and engaging. And so how are you making money on this? You're not actually looking for folks to buy wine through the site, are you? No. And it's correct to say that we will be totally free to any of our users. For the retailers, it'll be free. For the wineries and for the consumer users, it'll be free. And the way we monetize is through a Google AdWords model. So if a winery or a retailer wants to boost a specific product against a category or against certain keywords, they will have the ability to do that. However, we will be sending them all of the free traffic to complete the sales on their own sites from any organic search. A another thing that's really important to us is that sponsored results are marked as such. So it'll always be clear to the consumer which results are the most relevant results based on their search versus the sponsored results. We have taken a very ethical approach to our business model to make sure that we are meeting the needs of all of our different customers, which in this case is both uh, consumer customers as well as trade customers. I just love the, the concept of this, which is why I wanted to have you on the show, because it does everything that I want technology to do. You're thinking about what people do, what people want. And I love the idea of taking away something that could be pretentious or nerve wracking and wine has that problem. But by the same token, it's also a lifestyle thing. Hey, I think I'll enjoy a glass of wine. Like whenever you say the word wine, four letters, it means you're about to have a good time. Relax, just set the mood, and it's just a great thing. So this exactly. helps people do that easier. Absolutely. Removing that intimidation factor, removing the pretense from the wine buying experience, and essentially creating a more balanced approach that is more holistic. Everything's just in one place in a very simple way so that you can make purchase decisions with confidence. That's so great. Erica, I really appreciate you coming over. It's great personally to reconnect with you. And I love this new project that you're doing. So folks should go over to pix.wine and sign up and they can find out more information. And we look forward to seeing this launch. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So I just thought that was such a cool thing that it's not really a gadget per se, but we've talked about beer stuff. We've talked about wine stuff. We've talked about cocktail stuff. So there's something missing in the general bar scene. There's a machine that many bars have 
really every bar has, and you probably have one of these at home, it's a blender, right? So Chris, I know you've seen, there's a fancy blender out there called Milo. And I think they were at like a show of yours. Yeah, they won the design award at our Smart Kitchen Summit back in, I want to say 2019. All right. So I'm going to give you the, the task of describing what this looks like. Because when most people picture a blender, they picture something big and clunky and loud and like, you have to hurt your fingers to push the buttons down. So this is very much not that. How would you describe how it looks? Probably the easiest way is think about like when you, your traditional blender, but all the, what is the thing at the top? The pitcher, shrink uh, that down and yeah. invert it. And that's what it looks like. The Milo uses, a, I believe, a magnetic air brushless motor. Yeah. And so it is really quiet. And you stick the thing on top and you can slide it up and it's just, it acts like a regular blender. Like I haven't been able to use it, so I haven't put it through paces. So I don't know how good it is at pulverizing ice or frozen fruits or anything like that. But it is a sleek, it's like an iPod of blenders, right? Like it's a sleek white design. That's pretty cool. So I'm excited to try one whenever I can. Yeah, when I look at it, it looks like something out of the Woody Allen movie Sleeper. Like it just looks futuristic to me, like the base Looks like this thin, if I had to guess, it's two inches or less, like a, a flying saucer that's two mm -hmm. inches tall. And it's like a, a white flying saucer and then an inverted tumbler of some sort. So the, the trick would be how well does it crush ice and how well does it actually do what you need it to do? Because you basically just slide like in the old, the old school iPods, like you were saying, like where you would slide the, the volume control. So it's like that kind of control. Mm -hmm. And it just looks like this out of this world, cool thing. Yeah. And it, you know, definitely it looks cool and sleek and futuristic. And what you may not know too, is that Milo has developed a, a table, a smart table that uses the same magnetic brushless motor. So it just looks like a regular table, but then you can touch the controls and there's a heating element, like an induction heating element, right? And it's all just this flat plane of glass. And then, but you can power things on it, right? So it uses, the, you could put the, the Milo on there and have it power without cords, right? So they're expanding this technology beyond the blender to something that could be built into countertops and stuff. That should be something to watch. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've seen some other stuff like that, that it looks like it's like a countertop, like a wooden, like more like butcher block. So this sounds like in their style that it's much more sleek and just cool. Yeah, it's really cool. They put, they posted a video of it, a demo from last year. So if you go to Milo, like on LinkedIn, I think, M-I-L-L-O, you can see a video of that demo in action. Okay, cool. So Chris, what's next? Are there any other cocktail-related gadgets or technology that we haven't talked about that you're sort of seeing out there on the horizon? Oh, I hate to equivocate here and not answer your question, but I think given the pandemic, right, we saw a rise in delivery services. So companies yeah. like Drizzly, uh, I think just got acquired by Uber last month, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you saw sort of the expansion of home delivery of booze. And that's yep. a big thing, right? That's way different than what it was five, 10 years ago. So I think that's interesting. But as people have spent a year pent up and as vaccinations roll out, I think people are just going to be happy to be back out in the world. And yep. so what does that mean for home cocktail machines? I'm not sure. I really don't know. Obviously, there's going to be some fits and starts with getting back to normal. But I think people are just going to be happy to be out. And that's like the biggest thing. 
Yeah. And there is a time I will admit to put your gadgets down. There are times to just sort of be with people, put your stuff down. It doesn't have to be on a glass inductive charging table. Just put them down, turn it over and just be out and, and humanize. Yeah, for sure. And people are just going to want to connect. And what are the ways that they can connect? So I would say the things to look out for are going to be less in a bar, but more at like the airport. Yeah. What are the ways you're going to be able to get cocktails at the airport? You know, someplace where you're going to want things fast and you'll see automated wine services at airports and automation in, in that regards. But in terms of booze gadgets, I honestly thank you for asking that question because I, I haven't seen any in a long time. Yeah. Any new ones? So tell everybody what's the best way of them checking out what you're working on. You had mentioned that there's a show coming up. Yeah. So just visit thespoon.tech. And every day we post four to five stories about what's going on in the world of food and agriculture and technology and all of that stuff. So that's a really good way to get up to speed on what's going on in the industry. Cool. Well, with that, I think we've hit the top of the hour and it's time to say thanks for joining us. I really appreciate everyone who tuned in. I can see you out there and whatever time zone you happen to be in. Thank you very much to Erica Ducey from Pix Wine for telling us about that product. And most of all, thank you, Chris, for co-hosting. I really appreciate it. That was my pleasure. This was fun. Thanks so much for having me. It was my pleasure too. So here's my offer to anyone who's listening. If you ever have any gadget questions, just drop me an email, scott at thefamilycto.com, and we'll find a time to talk because I love connecting folks with devices that solve problems and bring joy. And in case you didn't catch some of what we said, maybe you came in in the middle, don't worry, because next week we'll be releasing the playback version of the show. So your best bet is to go to wherever your music or podcast platform of choice is, search on The Family CTO, and click follow so that you can see when new episodes hit. So I guess with that, I will say thank you, everyone. Have a good rest of your day or evening, as the case may be, and have a great weekend. This podcast, copyrighted 2021, is the intellectual property of The Family CTO, a division of the Gadget Concierge Incorporated. All rights reserved.